Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Restoring Human podcast, where we believe humans were designed to flourish. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where many of our modern conveniences prevent us from thriving. But, are you? (laughs) Man, just ruining my flow. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where many of our modern conveniences prevent us from thriving, but through intentional lifestyle decisions, we can return to an optimal state of health. I am Jarek Bakken. I'm Dr. Alex Aguello. And we're on my porch right now. I'm doing some painting later, and I've got this big old light, but it's much closer to me than it is to Alex, so... Sorry for the video. It might not be super. It might be our most well-lit video. It might be just kind of strange. I feel like I look blown out right now. Anyway, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I just learned that uh, there's that delay on that. That means if we say something stupid, maybe we can hurry up and oh, stop it before it ever yeah. gets up. Well, the other thing is I could choose to not post it live. So it's like if you say something dumb and we can look over and see that nobody's watching, like right this second, nobody's actually watching, uh, and I don't actually post it, then nobody could see it after the fact. Got it. You know. Trying to get set up here. That'll never happen, though. That'll never happen, though. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we've got a topic this week from a question from last week. Before we head into it, though, um, I have dang, I had two things. One of them, one of them I remember, and I'll try to remember the second one. First one, completely unrelated, but a question from one of our brand new listeners. Uh, the question was around the sauna. Infrared sauna. Yeah, infrared sauna. Do you have? Uh, one of them, I wish. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I guess that gives a little clue into if you think they're beneficial or not. But I've heard some great things about the infrared sauna, but do you want to maybe give a real quick overview of thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I don't know like a super ton about it, but just know that um, at those levels of heat obviously your your body's stimulated to sweat mm-hmm. so when you're sweating you're that's one of the mechanisms that your body uses to detox mm-hmm. so it's getting toxicity out of your body um so yeah i know basically the people that i've known that know way more about health than i do and have beat um serious health issues cancer cancer um, just serious toxicity issues. They've all used infrared saunas. Yeah. And I'm sure there is some danger um, with them. There is, I'm trying to think of what it is. Some of them have, I can't remember. I can't remember what some of them have, that you, but you can just get that where the sauna doesn't have it. Um, the so that's the, not type, that the type of the heating instrument you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the more popular, like, version of a sauna is something with, like, the hot stone things. Or is that the infrared? I don't know much about saunas. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they're good. I mean, uh, you want to be detoxing. Your body has so much 
you know, the, the kidneys, the liver, your bowels, sweating, mm-hmm. breathing, all those are forms of de- urinating, obviously. So <clears throat> you want to be using all those things to, to detox. You don't want to necessarily use one of them mm-hmm. all the time. So if you're like not doing anything else to detox and you just want to jump in a sauna all the time, to sweat everything out, that's probably not the best situation. Oh, shoot. You know what? I just realized something. Hey, Facebook Live. Get ready to live. You haven't heard, they haven't heard anything we said? Uh, they have heard it, but it has probably sounded terrible. <laughs> uh, now you're fine, though. Facebook is going now. Can continue. So, yeah, um, that would probably be the only drawback that, that I would see. Uh-huh. Um, like like the type of like headline reading thing where people say, oh, this is great for detox, and it's like they do that, but they're still eating McDonald's. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you don't want to do any of that stuff, obviously. Right. right. But you also don't want to necessarily take – if you are super toxic, like if you have heavy metal toxicity, mm-hmm. like an infrared sauna is not going to get rid of that. Um, but it also you, – you probably most likely wouldn't want that going through pores and things like that. So you'd want to get that bound up in your digestive system and eliminate it mm-hmm. through your bowels. Um, so there is probably some some downside to detoxing that way fully, but overall, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because th- and actually the stuff that I've seen has been more. So there's some like training and recovery related stuff, but then one of the bigger ones was I think they were looking at uh, like telomeres and mm-hmm. just showing that heat ex- heat exposure or heat you know treatment things like that were basically sustaining and maintaining telomere length mm. is I think essentially what they were looking at. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. So cool stuff. Uh if you're more interested in that, I know Dave Asprey, Bulletproof, I I know has stuff on that. The lady that I saw the longevity stuff from, her name's Rhonda Patrick. I mentioned her a few other times. Um I know she was studying that stuff. Anyway. Does he sell us on it? Does he sell us on a probably uh with the coffee maker? Oh, the coffee maker in it? That would be hilarious. But I don't this is definitely not the other thing I want to talk about. But I did see that he opened up this new thing. It's called uh Bulletproof Labs. Did you see that? Hmm. So if you know anything about this dude, he is crazy experimenter or whatever. Has all these different gizmos and gadgets and whatnot that he uses for himself. He's very wealthy, very well off. Uh, recognizes that you know people don't have access to this stuff, so he opened up this facility that basically has essentially all the crap that you would probably find at his house. Mm-hmm. This facility that you can come, I'm sure there's like a, it's, I'm sure it's kind of like a gym, pay a subscription to go do all this stuff. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, Bulletproof Labs. I thought that was pretty cool. Franchise? Have a franchise? Uh, he's got to do something. No, I doubt it because he's, there's, there's like a, there's a number of Bulletproof coffee shops, but there's, I think it's, like maybe like five total, like mm-hmm. San Francisco and LA. And I think, I think they opened one up in Seattle. Uh, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Full hand over all that stuff. So yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, I'll try to remember what else I was going to bring up. I don't I, uh, 
Maybe look at me. Should have had my brain octane oil this morning. <laughs> uh, topic for today: Should we be getting a flu shot? That's the title that you put on. I, I did. That's exactly what I put on there. So uh, you touched on it last week briefly, but what, like, what, what is the flu shot? What's the idea behind this immunization, vaccination, whatever, whatever term is correct there? Um, the idea behind it is we just naturally can get, we can contract the influenza virus. So that uh, influenza is just a, a, a virus that has a couple different types, type A, type B. And there's, I think, around 100 or so strains of influenza. Um, and, of course, if we get any sort of pathogen, bacteria, virus, and like that, there's potential for bad stuff to happen to us and potentially even death to happen, um, which happens to people every year. So they wanted to figure out how can we minimize that um, people actually getting influenza virus and just like other vaccinations you know to measles mumps rubella all those different things um, they figured out how to create a flu vaccine so mm -hmm. flu is just short for influenza um, so then they yeah they promote it every year as some life-saving shot that if you don't want to die from the flu Mm -hmm. You can get that. Have you ever gotten a flu shot? Uh, not that to my knowledge. In your life, I remember. I remember one time in high school. So I have no idea what I'm doing. They, you know, offered free flu shots or whatever, and I'm like, I don't know why, because I like it was never something my parents were never something they took us to go do or anything but it was at school and it also seemed strange that I didn't need any type of like consent to do it uh, maybe I was 18 I don't remember I'm pretty sure I mostly went because it was an excuse to get out of class but <laughs> went and did that and that is the only time I can remember okay but anyway uh, yeah so I think the, to start off the question I think it's important <coughs> for us to say that like our purpose for this podcast is not necessarily to give medical advice. You know, we can't tell people to what to actually do for sure. medical issues. Sure. Um, our purpose is to try to educate people on what yeah. is required to be healthy, stay healthy for the rest of your life based off of evidence, based off of research, based off of my clinical experience, based mm -hmm. off of my personal experience, mm -hmm. your personal experience, people that we know, um, their experience. So that's what we're kind of trying to um, get to the masses here with this podcast. So the question of should you get a flu shot, how we would look at that particular question is based on our, since that's what we're trying to do, our flu shots, can flu shots actually fit into a plan who, that plan's primary goal is to have somebody stay healthy for the rest of their life. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah, a that's different. A good way to put it. That's a different question than if I don't want the flu this year, mm -hmm. should I get the flu shot? Yeah, right. Um, now we could answer that latter question, and it's still not a no-brainer that you just should get a flu sure. shot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's not necessarily. We're not trying to be on here giving medical advice. We want to say, okay, what? 
how do we get somebody healthy? How do we keep somebody healthy for the rest of their life? Or how can they take responsibility for their health and do that? Um, and now we want to, we would want to answer that question of, should you actually get a flu shot? So you already said that you have never received one. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, I mean, maybe just answer the simple question of why have you never done it? Um, well, it's, yeah, to, not to my knowledge. I mean, I've up till 23 years old before I get sick. Mm-hmm. I never cared about my health, so I never yeah. questioned any sort sure. of health decisions. Sure. So I could have very well went to the hospital and, sure. you know, I know I got vaccines when I was vaccinated as a child, but mm-hmm. I know I got vaccines, even the stuff like the meningitis and all that stuff you had to do to go into college. Uh-huh. And I, I can even remember that visit of when I got those. Uh-huh. So who knows if there was a flu shot in there, but since then, um, no, I haven't got it because between college and, in 23 again i didn't care about my health so if it was a good decision for my health i didn't care to go do it if it's a bad decision about my health and of course i wasn't going to go do it um but then when i started to learn about health um i didn't you know i guess my education on health again wasn't based off of how to make medical decisions Mm -hmm. it was let's start foundationally what's the philosophy behind health how somebody how the human body works why somebody would be healthy and why they wouldn't be healthy and just my understanding of how the body works and what keeps somebody healthy has kept me from jumping into actually getting a flu shot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good thing I think to start when, again, just answering this question is there's two kind of contrasting philosophies that are out there on health. Um, There's one that would be considered kind of conventional medical philosophy and that would, um, just to kind of give a very general idea of what that is, is they would start with, when answering this particular question is, the body is weak, the body is defective, the body is susceptible to all kinds of diseases. Mm -hmm. So because it's weak, defective, and susceptible, we need to try to do everything we can to the external environment that this body is actually in to then try to minimize the um chance that that person's actually going to succumb to some sort of sickness yeah so that's why there's all you know the whole germ theory trying to get rid of germs everywhere you know completely sterilizing everything making sure you're washing your hands crazy um you know disinfecting stuff the counters you know washing food all pasteurizing milk all Mm -hmm. those different things we're all trying to get rid of all these things that potentially can come inside of us and harm us um, so then what's interesting though, is with this, f- with vaccination, with immunizations is they take the, r- the opposite approach. Yeah. Yeah. They say, okay, let's figure out how to you know, address the environment, but we still know how the body works is the body still has to respond. It has to adapt. It has to figure out when something comes inside of it, what to do. Mm-hmm. So then they figured out, well, if we can give something in a small amount that's not very dangerous to the body, then the body, because of how amazing it actually is, Mm -hmm. can identify that small amount of this particular virus or bacteria. And then because we know how the immune system works, now it can mount an attack on that and then potentially have long-term immunity towards that. So that's kind of their idea is because the body is so weak and we can't really defend ourselves, we need assistance. Where the philosophy that I learned 
was the body's actually amazing and powerful and can fight it every single day. It's fighting off things. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like I think I've said this in another podcast, but we, I mean, we started as two cells that came together and then nine months later we're trillions of cells and we have all these different organs and systems working every second of our life. And that a lot of them are working automatically right? We don't have to tell our heart to beat or lungs to breathe or stomach to digest food or immune system to work. That's all working. So th- kind of the, that's what we call in chiropractic innate intelligence. There's just something innately about us. There's an intelligence in our body that's doing all that stuff without us ever thinking about it. Yeah. So we would rather, I guess, go with that side of, that's kind of what fuels, knowing that's true, that fuels our philosophy on health where a medical philosophy would be like, no, we're smart. We've done all the research. We're educated. We've read the books. Mm -hmm. That's educated intelligence. They would kind of go to with that side to figure out how to take care of somebody and not really believe so much in the innate intelligence, even though, again, they do with how these vaccines work. Right. Like I've I've never thought of, you know, that juxtaposition before, but like (laughs) that's literally two completely – opposing views of the body like how how is that reconciled like how, how does that make sense the how they right the flu the, shot thing is a the like the germ theory compared to the philosophy behind flu shots <laughs> like i maybe there is no answer but I don't know how you can reconcile that. Yeah, I mean, I think they they kind of recognize that they still would believe that germs are the primary catalyst and why somebody would get a disease. Okay. But they kind of recognize that there's no way that we can eradicate the world of disease. So this is kind of going a, another direction of if we want to at least, because they don't necessarily care about the germs, they care about the germs getting inside somebody and making them sick. So if we can figure out how to minimize the chances of that happening, then mm-hmm. we're going to use all means necessary. So then I unknowingly, maybe they used kind of this other philosophy <laughs> to try to reach their goal. Um, but as they're still continuing to recommend all the other stuff of trying to eradicate all the germs in the world. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, still, I can't, I can't put my head around it anyway what what would be any downsides of like something like the flu shot yeah so uh, I think there's probably I can think of three there's probably more um, but yeah that's the kind of the first thing you have to think of right so okay I understand what you're saying yeah because um, at face value like we were just saying it like when you hear that that to like logically says more about what the body's able to do to adapt to certain things than it does uh you know basically getting something outside of myself to deal with something yeah yeah so the the three things that i can think of is number 1 is there's going to be, when they make the actual flu virus 
they can't just put the virus in you, right? It's not like they're just grabbing a virus somewhere in nature, mm -hmm. putting it right in a vial and then sticking you in your arm mm -hmm. or opening up your arm and grabbing the virus and putting it in there. They obviously have to make this into a pharmaceutical yeah, so product. There's the first red flag. So it's a considered a drug. It's considered a, um, a pharmaceutical medication. So mm -hmm. um, they, in order to do that, there's a whole process. So basically how they develop the particular flu vaccine for the year is they have three and they've, they've since went to four and some of the, the actual um, flu vaccines. So there's three strains of the, a particular flu virus that the World Health Organization decides what was the, what were the three main, based off of research, like when you go to the doctor and they test what you had, mm -hmm. that information gets turned into the World Health Organization, CDC, and they decide what was the um, three most that were infecting people at the end of 2016. That's what we're going to use for 2017. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the CDC itself um, admits that it's pretty much an educated guess of what's, what sure. should be put in the, in the flu vaccine. And we'll, sure. and we'll talk about why that's important. But anyway, so they pick these three viruses. So then they have the three viruses that feel like are going to be the, the ones that are going to be infecting people the most. Because then that's their best chance at minimizing the amount of people that are going to get infected. But then those um, three viruses, because we said in our last, I believe it was the last talk, that viruses is not a, a living organism like a, a bacteria right. or, or a parasite or right. a yeast. It, it's, um, it has to be incorporated into the DNA of a host. Mm -hmm. So they have to use something to, for that um, virus to actually continue to live. So it they typically use egg. So they... Oh. They can insert those three viruses into some sort of egg protein, um, but some of those viruses don't do well in that. They actually can't go with it, the egg, without tech, you know technical terms of how that works. Um, so then, if that is not the case, if they if the three main viruses is one of them or two of them can't actually be cultured on an egg, what they have to do is they have to mix it with another virus that actually can be cultured on an egg. So then there's this whole process of finding that. And they, I, how they do that is they take like around 250 viruses, they mix them together, they put them in an egg, and then they kind of identify which the three are, and then what's the one that was matched up with um, one of the viruses so that then they can put that into an actual vial to use that as a flu vaccine. So there's no guarantee that you're only getting those three viruses. Right. There might be some other stuff in there. Like, right? like, like for example, what, like, what would that stuff be? What would the stuff be in the 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 like the the pairs? So there, there would just be um, different strains of viruses. So it wouldn't be necessarily an influenza virus. Right. So again, what you're doing is you're injecting somebody with a virus. So yes, it's in small amounts, so it probably won't cause them any harm, uh -huh. but Again, this stuff is, we're think about it, we're injecting multiple viruses into somebody's body. We should probably study whether or not the fa that's going to cause a problem. But because they don't know all the stuff that potentially is inside of that, they can't study it. They don't know necessarily what's, what problems might, might happen. They also know there's other pathogens like bacteria that can get involved. So then what they do is they have to an add antibiotics to that so that they could kill any sort of bacteria 
that's in it to try to keep it as sterile as possible. And then, of course, there's preservatives that they have to, because the vial's sitting in the doctor's office or the pharmacy for long periods of time. Sure. They have to use that. Um, there's different chemicals. Um, so one of those preservatives would be formaldehyde, which we know is carcinogenic. Um, there's other um, preservatives like that that have some haven't been studied enough to know exactly what's going on, but a lot of them are mutagenic, carcinogenic, damaging to DNA. Um, there's other additives and stuff that kind of give it, um, so there potentially could be heavy metals like aluminum mm -hmm. or mercury that just kind of give it a more pungent effect so that the body responds to something else foreign so that it can actually come and mount a response to the particular virus. That's what those <laughs> things do. Um, so we know mercury is devastating to the body. It's actually the second most toxic chemical on the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, so we don't want any sort of, of course, mercury inside of our body. Um, and most vaccines that, uh, other than I think the MMR had mercury in it for a while, but then they fought and fought and fought and finally they started taking mercury out. But a lot of the flu vaccines are the ones that still have it in there. So you have to, for sure, if you're thinking about getting a flu shot, you want to elect for the mercury-free um, flu shot. So, yeah, so there's just all these toxicity things. So we know those things, unfortunately, have led to um, things like Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a severe neurological um, syndrome. It's led to, like, narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. um, it's led to a lot of brain-type stuff because um, mercury, aluminum, those heavy metals are neurotoxins so potentially could cause a lot of the, those type of things so we know for sure that's what's happening um again they could say it's rare and comparatively to like your arm hurting that that being a side effect yeah it probably is rare but still there's it's if you don't get a flu shot there's no chance of it happening if you do get a flu shot it's still a chance of it happening of course mm -hmm. um but there's also these things that are indirectly related with it that there's really no way of studying. So one of the things that we've mentioned before, and we keep saying we're going to do a show on it, but we haven't, is leaky something called leaky gut. So it's basically your digestive system, parts of your digestive system, more likely your small intestine, um, is the barrier between in, inside stuff that goes inside you and your actual um, inside of your body. Mm -hmm. So if it allows stuff to leak out, it can cause all kinds of problems, civically inflammatory problems, potentially lead to autoimmune type diseases. Well, the first time I ever heard about leaky gut was um, linked to flu shots. So there's plenty of other stuff that I've learned about leaky gut. Our food, just regular toxicity um, can lead to leaky gut, but things that are in vaccines have led to intestinal permeability that they found in studies. Sure. So we can't even really... I guess, measure or come up with the danger that these things that are actually in the shots sure. could cause to our bodies. Um, with, with that, they're starting to recommend flu shots to more people than they used to, right? They, so they used to say pregnant women can't have flu shots. Of course, newborn babies can't have flu shots. Elderly people can't have flu shots because they're typically, they're immunosuppressed. Uh -huh. So they're more susceptible to having negative problems happen if they get infected with this virus. So they didn't want to actually purposefully give them the virus, <laughs> but now they do. Um, well, with babies, we're born with somewhat of a leaky gut because 
where the way we were created is as we're breastfeeding, we're actually getting antibodies. We're getting right. these things from the breast milk. So our body has to allow that to leak through our gut and get into our bloodstream. Huh. So if we're putting something in the body where our gut's already leaky, and then now it's going to potentially make it more leaky, then, you know, you're kind of setting that, setting a child up for, for lots of problems. So, yeah, those are kind of, I guess, number one thing that I would say um, is a risk if you're, if you're getting a flu shot. Second thing that I would say, and we could talk more about that if you have any <laughs> questions on that, but second thing I would say is although the concept behind a vaccine is correct, give somebody something small and allow the body to respond so then the next time if they get exposed to that, their body should be able to mount a, a response to that. Mm -hmm. That's all correct, but we don't typically get the influenza virus by our arm being penetrated, right? We inhale it mm -hmm. typically. Yeah. So there's a whole process of it going through what it needs to go through. Th um, the time I got it, it was this little spritzer thing up my nose. Yeah, so begin. They learn how the body works, yeah. and then they make, they adapt, they make changes. But, w so when that first happened, there was all kind of problems with that because they couldn't put all these other things in it. They wanted to try to keep it as natural as possible. Yeah. And it would cause, it would basically, it was giving people the flu. Um, sure. So they've had to rework that. Um, but still, even though you give it that way, we don't naturally come across the influenza virus mixed with um, formaldehyde, mixed with egg protein, mixed with antibiotics, mixed with all the stuff that we just went through. Uh -huh. So, y yes, you are creating, you're allowing the body to mount an immune reaction, but it's just not the natural way that, that it's happened for thousands and thousands of years. So, again, we, don't, we just don't know if that has negative consequences on the body. More than likely it would because the, the, how a body, like if you step on a nail, that's a different body reacts in an emergency-like way right. to try to make sure that whatever's on that nail doesn't infect and get systemic. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with the shot, potentially the body's going to react in an emergency-like way and has a potential to create longer-term immunity, but more than likely it's not going to be the type of immunity that we want. How... So somebody had to have done s some studying and research that led to this being adopted. Like, what w what was that process? Do you, I mean, you maybe you don't know. To the actual flu shot? Or? Yeah, to, like, somebody had to say, this is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, immunization started with, uh, what the heck was the guy's name? So it's it's more like this is a continuation of just the whole spectrum of immunizations and the influenza specifically hasn't necessarily had a lot of studies to show success or has it? Yeah, well, the only way they can really study um, vaccines in general really but specifically flu shots is they can look and they can take a group of people and they can give them the flu shot and then they can measure what's called an antibody titer so they can see if antibodies are actually produced in that person's body. Mm -hmm. They can't, they don't study whether or not that person still got the flu. 
They can just study if the immune react, the immune response that w- they wanted happened. Man. Um, but I mean, the hap done research um, on the effectiveness mm-hmm. of of the flu shot, and we'll get into that for sure because you know we're talking about risks right now. You know, do I want to risk putting those chemicals in my body? Do I want to risk potentially leaky gut type stuff? Do I want to risk an abnormal immune reaction, kind of mm-hmm. basically kind of training my body year after year to have that type of reaction to pathogens? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one that I would say is kind of that hormesis thing that we talked about. Um, we've talked about a couple different times. Basically, needing to be exposed to something so that our body can get stronger after it's responded to it. Uh-huh. And we need that type of stuff if we're if our bodies are going to stay healthy and vibrant and strong. So getting exposed to a flu um, virus naturally, you're going to be a you're, once you respond to that, you're going to be a lot stronger than th- as opposed to just getting a little bit of it stabbed into your arm. Sure. Um, so you're saying like to to get full on pukey sick, like get the whole deal. Yeah, to actually go through the natural, normal immune mm-hmm. response to mm-hmm. getting exposed to a particular virus, mm-hmm. um, that strengthens the immune system, that activates the immune system. The, mm-hmm. the immune system's getting trained and trained and trained in the right way, as opposed to, again, an emergency-type reaction mm. that happens when you get stabbed in the arm. Or, again, when you, get, when you put it up your nose and it has all these other things. So the body's the immune system's like... I didn't, I've never seen this for the thousands of years that mm-hmm. we've been exposed to this virus. Um, so those are the three kind of, I guess, risks at it. Um, plus it just sucks to get a needle put in your arm. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so now we've, we've laid out the risks and, you know, we could spend more time on that and kind of get, dive into more, I guess, examples even of stuff that happened, but you still have to say, okay, those are the risks, but do I really want to get the flu? And if the flu shot gives me protection against the flu, yeah. then maybe I'm still going to gonna get it. Yeah. Um, but again, when w- how we're talking about it is long-term. If you do that over and over and over and over again, the last thing I'll say about danger is there's a guy named um, Hugh Frudenberg or Friedenberg. can't remember his last name. Maybe we can put it in the notes. On the can you put stuff in the notes? Of course. Okay, he is an immunogeneticist, a medical doctor, and uh, they did a study on people between 1970 and 1980. Um, people that got five consecutive flu shots, so five years in a row, got the flu shot, had a ten times more chance of getting Alzheimer's disease than somebody who never got it, or even just got it once or twice. Yeah. So that's just one unbelievable study, if you think about it, again, with what we're talking about. Is this good for your long-term health? Right. Yes, potentially could prevent the flu for that particular year, but what are you doing long-term? Mm-hmm. Well, there's evidence that whatever is in the flu shot, something happened for these people, whether it was, again, abnormal immune reaction, whether it wasn't their body wasn't strong enough from the hormesis effect, or it was because of all the toxicity or a combination of all those three, Right. these people led to them having a 10 times greater chance of having yeah. Alzheimer's disease later in life. Man, so. yeah. Okay, so 
just to respond a little bit to all the, I mean, you've you've covered a whole mountain of crap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Like, the response that I'm having is, so the, right off the bat, the very first thing you said was, this thing is, like, you said it has to be made. So, right away, my first red flag comes up. Something that has to be created, like, in a lab, whether it's food and going into my stomach, or, like, literally injected right into my bloodstream, I'm already going to say probably going to pass on that then so when you the alzheimer thing it's like it doesn't even to me it doesn't even matter what like the negative outcome is it's like what i understand is to continually put myself in this compromised state is going to lead to being more susceptible to any type of disease, any like any type of negative outcome, whether it be like this direct link from like this thing to this disease. Like it what I understand about how my body's going to be able to like thrive and not just avoid some very acute symptom because ultimately that's like we've we've come up with names all like all of them are the body not being able to function optimally like yeah, it, it, yeah. Like, I, I don't i don't care if, <laughs> if it's like oh i'm not doing this because of this one very specific thing it's like no i'm looking at my whole body as a whole like thriving not just avoiding this very small symptom yep yep yeah, I mean, so that's a good point. Um, so when you think about it like that, you almost don't even need to know if the flu shot's effective or not. Yeah. Right, because you're not willing to risk any, even if it's 100% effective, you're not willing to risk not getting the flu if there's potentially right, a weakening a, of my body right. longer term. Right, what do you want, the the flu now or Alzheimer's and... I mean, just because that's the example you gave. Like, right. is it better to experience the flu for a couple days, you know, in the year, maybe every so often for 100, 120 years, or to get Alzheimer's, have a com extremely restricted lifestyle at a very young age? Right. Right. I mean, I guess the just to play devil's advocate, somebody could say, well, yeah, I don't want to get Alzheimer's, but if I have a chance of dying from the flu, okay. then I want to I want to prevent that as much as I can. So sure. then that's when we would talk about effectiveness. So um, just to give some recent statistics, this CDC stuff, they said in, I think it's 2014-15, the flu shot was 47% effective for people that got, got the flu shot. <laughs> so that means that... You've got a 50-50 chance of this working or not. You flip a coin. <laughs> There's, um, in 2015-16, I think it was, f uh, I might have that wrong. One of them's 19%, one of them's 47%. So basically around 50% one year, and then, so I think it was 2014-15 was 19%. Effective? Effective. Of, effective in 
people not getting the flu. Yeah, so 100 people get the flu shot, 19 of them didn't get the flu. So what that's that what that means. Yeah. Okay. But it's according to basically their, their result. Um, so, but that's that. That's not actually true because I'll get into this in a second. But then, in, so the next year, it it was better. It went up to about 50 percent. So like you said, a flip of a coin. Mm-hmm. But very rarely does it get better than that. That high, yeah. Um, there's a couple of different reasons for that. Is because there's again hundreds of different flu viruses. Mm-hmm. So you could get exposed to a virus that's not in the vaccine. Remember, there's only three or four, at the most, four strains in the vaccine. Um, So if they didn't guess right, and there's one that's um, going around and infecting people that's not in the vaccine, the vaccine's not going to help you. It's 0% effective against anything else other than what's in those three or four. Sure. But there's also hundreds of different viral strains that's not influenza that have flu-like symptoms. Mm. So you might get flu-like symptoms, think you have the flu, but if you never actually got the test done to see if it was actual flu, you right. don't know if it's the flu right. because they're going to treat it the same way. And, um, you, and you don't know if it's the actual flu you got, you know immunized for right exactly so but they might figure some of that into those statistics of you know of whether somebody got got the flu or not the flu so that those statistics are kind of skewed um but then when they actually when you actually look at the research back to what we've mentioned a couple different times with this relative yeah um percentage versus an absolute percentage Mm -hmm. so the 50 percent thing basically when they did that is if if you got let me make sure I say this right if you if the, again to 100 people are has a chance to get the flu if you got the vaccine two people wouldn't get the flu um, or two people would get the flu and then if you didn't get the vaccine it was only one person that didn't get the flu but so basically it was the difference between a two percent and a one percent which is a 50 percent change so basically that's where they come up with that that percentage is if you get the flu shot, you have a 50% greater chance of not getting it, but all that was is only one person um, out of a out of 100 instead of two people out of 100. So when you look at the absolute risk, there's really no difference getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. Uh, yeah, that's freaking confusing. <laughs> I, I, I get it, but it's like, yeah, that's super skewed. Yeah, so again... When you actually look at what's going on, and it's just so tough. Again, they're guessing wrong with the flus. There's other strains that are happening. Right. So it's like not not only is it possibly not even going to be what you're actually exposed to, the fact that you're going through this process of getting like intentionally causing this response in your body could potentially like weaken you to actually fight off the real thing that wasn't even what you got immunized for in the first place. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, your body you're kind of retraining your body. Not only are you putting chemicals in it, it's gonna now your immune system's occupied there, but you're also um you're kind of training your body to have this emergency type kind of mm-hmm. abnormal right. um immune let me read this. It says, so this is from Cochrane Collaboration, basically is an independent um, research facility where they just kind of do, they look at studies to see if the studies are legit. Because that's the other thing that you got to think about. 
when they try to promote the flu shot as being super safe and effective, the majority of those studies are done by the pharmaceutical companies that are actually putting out the flu vaccine. So what they do is they do all these studies. They say, oh, this one showed effectiveness, so let's present that one. Sure. This one didn't show effectiveness, let's put that in the file cabinet. This one showed, let's put it out. This one showed it didn't. So this says, this is Thomas Jefferson, the guy that looked at the Cochrane um, collaboration. He said, we have conducted four reviews since the... Um, late 1990s, we calculated that you needed to vaccinate between 33 and 99 people to prevent a single case of flu, depending on the match between the vaccine and the circulating strains of the virus. I want people held accountable for wasting taxpayers' monies, uh, money on these vaccines. The reviews have been available for years, and nothing has been done. This review includes 15 out of the 36 trials funded by industry. Four of them um, were not funded by industry. This is an early systematic review of 272 influenza studies published in 2007, found that the industry funded studies were published in more prestigious journals and cited more than other studies from independent. Um, basically, again, saying that the ones that were funded by the actual pharmaceutical companies, those are the ones that are being used in right. the medical journals right. to show, yes, these things are safe and effective, but the ones that show that they didn't, that weren't published, you know, by, um, that weren't done by the, the pharmaceutical companies, those are the ones that are not published. not published. But when these guys actually, an independent researcher looks at all the studies, they see the, what's really happening. So it's a mess it's out a there. Crazy mess. Huh. So, okay. If if you're convinced that you are more concerned with long-term health, long-term health uh, than short-term comfort of potentially but probably not avoiding the flu. Uh quick like one paragraph recap of what we talked about last week of how to like how to thrive in this flu season. Yeah. So they know also that <clears throat> people that actually get to the point of death, because I think everybody oh, yeah, would be yeah. fine. I was, I was going to ask that. What's the actual, what's the actual risk of dying of influenza? It's not very high. It's less than getting struck by lightning. When you actually look at the statistics, they say it's like, I don't know what it is. 37,000 people every single year. They say die of, the flu, but what that is is they're figuring in pneumonia within that. So again, just all the skewed research to try to hype it up that people need to get the flu shot. But the people that do die of it, 65% of those are elderly people. Sure. And then the other ones are um, infants. So <laughs> so then they use that as here's what we, you know this is how important the flu shot is because babies that are just born can't get the flu shot. So two... Really old people or really young people, again, immunosuppressed people. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that the immune system can't handle something being exposed to the flu. Yep. Potentially is going to lead to death. So then the answer would be just having a strong immune system, mm -hmm. right? So doing everything that we talk about with lifestyle, making sure you're eating what you should be eating, putting the stuff in your body that it needs, staying away from what it doesn't with toxicity and not moving and bad sleep and a lot of stress. All those different things are going to lead you to having a suppressed immune system. 
So if you just avoid all those things, give your body what it does need, sleep right, exercise, eat the right foods, you're going to have a strong enough immune system to be able to fight a flu. I'm not saying it's not going to suck, right? I'm not going to say you're gonna, not going to miss work for a few days. Mm-hmm. Your kids aren't going to miss school for a few days. But that's a natural, normal process that our body's supposed to go through. So yeah, if you want to be stronger in coming out of it, yeah. then we should we should invite those things from to go through. Yeah, and I like. Uh, I think a common experience is you know when people get working super hard and long hours and stuff and high stress environments, and then they might you know come down with the flu and be slowed down for a couple of days and then they come out of it and it's like okay I, you know, I I see I needed that you know it's like yeah. it's it's straight your body saying if you're not going to practice this I'm going to force you into it yeah you know like that that's I suppose just observational but yeah that's good yeah so the other thing was somebody wanted us to talk about ear infections and oh yeah 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 tubes um i think what we've already talked about could probably answer a lot of my what what i would say about ear infections and tubes in your ear um again we're coming from this philosophy of the body um is strong enough to fight these things off yeah as long as you give it what it needs to stay away from what it doesn't so if somebody has an ear infection then that might just be a symptom from the body being overcome by whatever virus or bacteria. Mm-hmm. And now the body's doing everything that it can to try to fight it off. So that's why temperatures go up when you have ear infections. That's why the kids are sweating a lot. There's fatigue. They might not want to eat. Of course, there's pain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all those things going on, but they're just, it's signs of inflammation. The body uses inflammation to heal. So again, it's just something that the body needs to go through somebody to, to be able to fight whatever off now we think all that stuff is dangerous right we don't like that somebody has pain in their ear we don't like that our kids have a high fever we don't like that they're right. sweating and fatigue and they're not eating because again we're told that we need to do something um so most ear infections again this is you know american academy of pediatrics say this will come and go in two to three days mm-hmm. um, most of them are viral also they're not bacterial so they speak out against once your kid has an earache, going to the doctor, getting some sort of antibiotic to try to fight it off because most of the time it's not going to be bacterial. Um, one of the times that it most likely is bacterial is if it's like what they call swimmer's ear. So if you've been in some sort of lake swimming around or pond, that potentially got some sort of bacteria in you. Um, and then you have an earache and, and swelling and it continues, and that's probably a bacterial. So that's when an antibiotic potentially could be helpful. But if it's a virus, it's not going to be helpful at all. Right. So when tubes come in, is typically there's reoccurring ear infections that you've tried antibiotics, and it you know might got have gotten rid of the ear infection, and then the ear infection comes back, and then there's leftover um, fluid buildup in the ear that stays there. So then they used to like in the 70s, they just went heavy on. Um, tubes in kids ears because they try to prevent that from happening and of course just any sort of intervention has the potential to to lead to problems Uh Um, so the tubes a lot of tubes weren't working they're falling out on their own 
um, and then it would affect hearing, which is one of the reasons why they want to do something about it because they think if you have lo reoccurring infection, it potentially yeah. could cause hearing loss. hearing loss. Well, they found that when they compared um, kids that actually got tubes and they were comparing it to kids that got daily antibiotics, the kid that got daily antibiotics had way less hearing loss than the kids that had tubes in their ears. So they were relating that to if you actually get tubes in your ears, there's potential for long-term hearing issues with a child. Um, so we can't go into something like that and think that there's no risk, you know, with the tubes. Uh -huh. um, but again, we're not trying to say don't do tubes. We're not even trying to say don't do antibiotics. Um, what we, The main thing that we would say is if there is a reoccurring ear infection, potentially tubes could be an answer. Potentially antibiotics could be an answer. But let's try to figure out why the kid continues to have ear, ear infections. infections in the first place. And the two things that I've noticed with people that I've dealt with is they either have what's called a subluxation. So something in the child's neck is misaligned mm -hmm. and it needs adjusted because when that happens, it closes off, changes the positioning of the canal, puts a lot more pressure mm -hmm. in there, which could trap bacteria and build up fluid and it just continues to happen until that problem actually gets fixed or they have some sort of food sensitivity. Hmm. They're, they're sensitive to dairy, yep. they're sensitive to the rice um, or what other type of grain that you've been giving them um, or any type of food. They're just building up inflammation in that area. So looking into those two things for sure for the cause. So even if you already have tubes in the ears or even if you've had re reoccurring ear infections, you've done some antibiotics, Looking into those two things are the main two things that I would say yeah. you should be doing. Cool. Hopefully that helps. Listener, I don't know if people like if we say their names on here, so I just won't. But <laughs> I suppose if they go and like read the comments, they can see who it's from. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, I did remember literally like your first sentence. I remembered what else I was going to bring up. So I've been holding <laughs> on this for a while now. Uh as always, brought to you by Great River Family Chiropractic. And this coming Monday, if you're timely in listening to this, you've got a special event going on. Yeah. Um, so next week, or the whole week, is <clears throat> what we call Patient Appreciation Week. We usually just do one day, but because we're only open three days next week, we have a whole week of it. Um, so we'll have different snacks and drinks for people to try for just to appreciate our patients. Um, and there's, you know, we'll have different discounts and stuff for products and um, we have some other activities that are going on, but then that whole week, we're also doing a food drive, um, for a place called hope at the brick house. So for that initial examination and consultation with me, if you bring in a bag of food, then you get that complimentary. Um, so that's what we're doing the whole week. But then Monday night we're doing, um, calling it a recipe night. Basically, um, Rebecca and Leah, um, my team at Great Friend of the Chiropractic are putting on this event where they're they're demonstrating how to make these pumpkin protein balls. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a healthy snack replacement for Thanksgiving stuff. Nice. Um, so they're going to be demonstrating that. Whoever attends will be able to try that. And then they're just going to kind of start a discussion about how can we replace things that we love on Thanksgiving that are not necessarily healthy for us. How can we make them into healthier recipes? Sounds legit. Um, I'm also going to do, I forgot about that. It's a nice reminder. <laughs> I'm going to shoot a video that they're going to watch at that particular event too about why why are these pumpkin balls healthy? So what's in them that each ingredient that's in them, how is it actually healthy for your body? So 
yeah, it'll be a cool event. Love to have you. All you have to do is there's an event on Facebook that you can search out. I'll post it on here. And they'll call you and get you signed up. Sweet. Um, yeah, cool. Questions regarding the stuff we talked about or this, this I mean, this could go into a lot of things with immunizations and whatnot and kids especially. So questions, let us hear them, please. Peace out. Later. Dude, these squirrels are distracting me. Oh, yeah, we got tons of squirrels back here. iTunes exclusive. Now you know that I have lots of squirrels in my backyard. <laughs>